What's up, guys, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, a.k.a. founder numero uno, and I am joined by JB. JB, what's going on, man? J-Mac, it's another Sunday afternoon, and we're back in the studio. Uh, it always feels nice to come in on a Sunday, you know? It's a little bit more relaxed, not so many people running around. It really is true. Like, it's the chaos seems to be a lot less. We don't have spiders running around here. You know, all that. And it's it didn't feel like it was a, as chaotic of a week for whatever reason. Like, we didn't have, like, a... You know, spelling bee where we had an eight eight way tie. You know, nothing crazy like that. So, uh, it's made this Sunday particularly nice to come into the office. Yeah, it's a little bit more relaxed. Sports are kind of winding down a little bit before they rev back up with college football coming around the corner quickly. So, it's nice to breathe a little bit in the sports world. You never want time off, but it's nice when it winds down like we're seeing with the finals here. Well, I think what the problem ends up being a lot of times is that you and I will just go in spurts for so long. Like we went from basically like the time the playoffs started for NFL all the way to the Super Bowl. That was pretty intense. We had a lot going on in basketball at that time as well. And we were exhausted by the time February got here. And we were off for like two weeks before the tournament started. And it just got crazy from there. Oh, man, we, we had a good time. NCAA tournament. It'll be exciting to have this around for that. Um we that was very very nice to both of us indeed so yeah exactly uh, it was good and we'll have i mean we've got a lot going on even after the finals end with nba we'll have we'll be talking about free agency which is going to be absolutely fascinating it's going to be a wild summer we'll talk about that here at nba talk in a minute but uh you know lots going on there baseball's really in full swing and there's there's a lot going on man i love it i love the summertime in sports absolutely and as now we're kind of rounding out the nhl you know we got game 6 tonight uh boston st louis blues everyone knows if you've listened to the show j mac is a huge boston fan um where's the nerves at i mean i'm nervous for you where where are your nerves at i mean it's not great to be in the the hole right i mean it's a three one hole at this point so three two three two three two excuse me i was thinking about before we came in here i was thinking about how how crazy it is that i mean it's just one of those things like if they don't win tonight they don't keep going and just the intensity that that brings and the energy that brings to a locker room before they're getting ready this is a really gritty bunch that's bounced back from losses really well throughout the playoffs i don't think that they've faced a time though where they or they have not faced a time where they lost two straight and i think that makes it a little bit tough to kind of deal with but i feel like that nervous energy that's creeping in of well it's now or never you got Char out there, you know, with a full facial cage on. Like, it's go time, you know? And oh, I think that's yeah. what's going to end up happening. I, I feel like the Bruins are going to pull pull back and tie this up. I would agree. I'm excited for the game. To your point, the Bruins have bounced back nicely, uh, responded to adversity when they've needed to. Uh, and typically what we've seen out of them in these situations is go with a bigger lineup. The biggest changes typically you've seen David Backus come in. You know, the veteran forward uh, who did play a long time in his career with St. Louis. Um, And I think I would imagine we may see him active tonight. Uh, They like to go physical, get the pucks on the net like you'll hear all the time and banging around. They're going to try to be more physical than you. Uh, As you mentioned, Char's injury has certainly slowed that down a little bit. But um, they know elimination game, broken jaw and all, we're coming full force. So I think it's going to be. A heck of a high-scoring game tonight, too. I think you could just see some goals raining down because 
uh, Boston's going to push it because they have to. They got no tomorrow. So it just feels like Boston has lost some momentum a little bit or just kind of, I don't want to say run out of gas, but it's kind of, I would say put the brakes on because that game where they beat, beat them seven to two was a massacre. Yeah, I think it was even eight to two. They got that like last, but yeah, the the when they destroyed them, absolutely, uh, and they've still outscored because of that game. Outscored St. Louis for this series, which is always mind boggling. And I, I did see a stat on you know the last time a team was outscored for this series but still won it. Uh, there's been pretty few of those, so uh, I hope we can get a game seven. There's nothing more exciting than game seven in the NHL playoffs, let alone the Stanley Cup. Um, so I, I would recommend anyone who's able to get on here before, uh, the Sunday night game to certainly be turning that on tonight around, I think it's seven central time. Yeah. Something like that. And I, we, in the game seven thing, like we don't have in hockey, we don't have a game seven situation too often. And it's, I mean, I think that's even more rare in NBA as well. Right. Um, yeah, maybe more in the NBA, but, uh, you know, I don't have the numbers, but it is the most exciting when you get game seven, you know, the Dallas-St. Louis series, they went to seven games, then they went to double overtime, for goodness sakes. I mean, the, just the intensity of a game seven in an NHL and the bodies flying around, it's extremely fun to watch from a, a visual standpoint, whether you're a diehard fan or not. Strong agree. Well, we'll see how that ends up. I guess by the time we're, we're back in the studio, we'll have uh, finished up one way or the other, so we'll be able to talk about the That's true. series in general and what to expect kind of going forward and we, we've had some teams already making some moves and stuff like that so we'll we'll cut keep some hockey stuff up to date as we we uh move through the summer let's talk about the uh nba what's going on there man it's been a, a wild ride for golden state i would say wow i mean we have to own up when we're wrong uh i think that's fair to the listeners and jmac we both were very much in agreement that even with kd's injury we felt you know, pretty strong that Golden State would win the series and certainly not take more than, you know, five or six games. But uh, you got to give credit to the Toronto Raptors. And the one point I want to lay with why I'm excited about what we've seen from Toronto and the success they've had is it does go back and reinstate the theory that you don't have to have three superstars to win an NBA championship. I do want to say real quick, just for clarity, this isn't over yet. This isn't over yet, but it's 3-1, and the only team to blow a 3-1 lead is you know, the aforementioned Golden State Warriors. Right, but I also saw before we, right before we came in here that KD's been cleared to practice. So, he has. He traveled with the team, and that's fantastic. But um, I'm just saying I would not be counting out the best team of all time yet. I, I just For clarity's sake, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's just not over yet, but... Go on. So it's it's not over yet. They got a 3-1 lead, and the reason I'm excited about what we've seen is it still does give those teams hope who don't have three superstars who aren't going to attract those best free agents where, hey, if you're able to draft, develop a guy, you know, and I know in this situation they traded for Kawhi Leonard, but if you're able to have that one superstar building a deep team like Toronto has, just like the Mavericks did back in 2011, you can still win in the NBA. Because I think the narrative since the Mavericks have won, is this is the new NBA culture. You get superstars, you accumulate them, you just have guys who come in on the minimums, you know, the veteran exceptions, they come in, and that's the new way to win. So I love seeing Toronto being able to have that success 
and kind of the whole East, you know, you include Milwaukee in that having teams who just have their one top guy and then build a solid team around him and are able to compete with these superstar teams. Sure. I mean, I agree with that, but I, I think that there's this stigma that comes with building around a superstar that everybody looks down on. And especially when you start adding superstars together, like Kevin Durant, just getting persecuted basically his whole time in golden state for leaving OKC to go to a better situation. I I don't really have any problem with that. And I think where that makes a difference for Toronto is just that Kawhi isn't that pomp and circumstance kind of guy. He keeps his mouth shut and he just wants to play ball and that's all he's there for. And he is fantastic at it. And I feel like that makes a big difference on a team where like Dirk was like that, where you put a bunch of role players around him, the right role players around him that know their place. And you're going to have some success. You're going to have a lot of success. And, and it, it wasn't only role players, but it was the right role players in the right spot. It's the right. same exact thing with this Toronto team. I think it looks almost identical in a lot of ways. I agree. And so that's why I like to see that they're able to build this out. Obviously, a non-major market as well. And um, as we've talked about at nauseum, we have no idea Kawhi's future. But I would tend to say if you win an NBA championship, that that's probably going to help you be able to convince them to stay. Yeah, I think he's staying no matter what happens. To be honest well, I came on here, I think, one or two weeks ago and told you 100% he's staying, mm-hmm. and you laughed me out the door at 100%. No. I said that the two teams he has the strongest chance with are the Raptors and the Clippers. Clippers. Yeah, just given the situation. But sure. I think the, the further they've made it, and that's a big part of this too. I think that that's a pretty big vote of confidence that he is with a really good team. And I think as they've made it further in the finals, that's probably shaped a little bit of what he's thinking about but I do think that there's a big importance to lay on the fact that I don't know that these guys are really trying to think about the next five years right now I mean I think they're trying to be in the game and what they're doing right this second I I don't I feel like this narrative is created a lot by the media and what's going on as far as you know what they're going to do next year and everybody wants to talk about that it's 15 minutes of game footage and 45 of what's Kevin Durant going to do you know and so I think that Kawhi does a really good job of keeping that separate and that makes a difference right I completely agree and so the one interesting aspect I think with tonight's game coming back so can we agree or not tonight uh, tomorrow night's game Katie's looking like he's trending towards playing I mean it's kind of that situation where you have to play Kawhi's had a great series scoring wise you know distributing the ball to the teammates as well on the rebounding side but look who's been guarding him Sean Livingston the McKean kid, there's not been anyone that can contest him. So with Kevin Durant coming back and the length that he possesses, while everyone wants to talk about KD's offense, I'm sitting here to tell you the biggest part of KD, if he's able to play, is on the defensive side because it allows KD to match up with him, you know, allows Iggy to kind of play somewhere else instead of having to help out all the time on Kawhi. So um, without having to double team him constantly, ask for help, ask players to do more than they need to, Katie on the defensive side, I think, is far more valuable than folks are realizing at being able to change this series and give Toronto a look they haven't seen because Toronto hasn't played this series at all against Katie. So you're completely throwing a new wrinkle on the Mm -hmm. offensive side as well as the defense, which is why, to your point, series isn't over, especially if you're able to steal it in Toronto. You better believe 
knowing that it's their last game and Oracle, it would be rocketing game six. Yeah. So there's that and the fact that they have the experience. They've been there before. They know how this shakes out and how that feels. And that's a big thing to underline is just the experience. I do want to talk about Golden State specifically here for a second because everybody wants to talk about how they stink out loud. But to your exact point you made a second ago, the people they've been running out there due to the injuries of these guys have not not left us uh, Golden State in a spot where they can be the Golden State that we've seen in the past. Is that would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that there's a big. That's a big thing to remember about. I don't know. It. I don't know. That feels like it hurts the Raptors if they win here, which stinks. Like that. That that shouldn't be the case, but it feels like. It's sort of like an asterisk a little bit, right? I mean, a little bit, yeah, when you're looking at the injuries. But at the same time, uh, when you get this far, championship to championship, especially that town. So if they're able to close it out. but Sure. No, uh, I get that. I just I just wonder about that at times. Yeah, but I, I do agree with your point on the experience factor. And as you mentioned in the Boston-St. Louis series on the NHL, if Golden State's able to win one of these, you know, this game five, you talk about a confidence, you know, shaker, then they got to go to game. I mean, hypothetically speaking, if they're able to win games five and six and push this to seven, there's no one that's sitting there that's telling me Toronto's not going to be, you know, have a lot of confidence lost. You know, it's kind of what they did to Milwaukee. I mean, they came home, won game three and four in Milwaukee, and game five just looked so, you know, messed out of their mind. They couldn't make that adjustment that they needed. They just couldn't figure it out, and I would be very worried as a Toronto fan if they do not put it away on Monday night. They have to put that game away. Otherwise, this thing is a, a slippery river they may be going down. Yeah, no, I strong agree with that. And while our Golden State and Five prediction may have been wrong, I still stand behind the fact that there's a chance here, and I'm not counting this done until it's done. I It, it definitely feels like a cooked chicken, though. It definitely yeah. feels that way. And unfortunately, we're really not. It's easy to say, hey, KD's going to play. He's probably going to be active no matter what, just from the factor of, hey, it's game five. We got to do something different. But we truly don't know his health at this rate. And it's a pretty serious injury that since he hasn't played to this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that if he was able to be at 90%, they probably would have rolled him out by now. So just from the fact alone that he's been ruled out, you know, days ahead of these games. It just tells me that the injury is pretty darn serious, so you have to almost wonder to what degree he's going to even be able to play at. Sure. Whenever they went back to the Bay Area, right, they had to split those games at best. And while I don't want to put out there that Golden State threw that game, game three, the one they lost the other day. But I do think that they were not as concerned knowing that Clay was out, Looney was out, and you had KD out. I, I don't right. feel like Kerr really stuck to some of the principles coaching-wise that he always sticks to, which you can't whenever you have that talent on the floor, and I get that. But it felt disjointed at times, and Kerr didn't seem too concerned about that. I mean, Steph put up, what, 46, 47 points that night? So, I mean... It was yeah. all about just get the ball in Steph's hand and let him ball out and see what happens. But, I mean, I think getting Clay back at the minimum is was huge. And I just don't yeah. – I think that they figured, you know what, as long as we win one of these games, which didn't work out for them, but as long as we win one of these games at home, 
and give Clay a little bit of extra rest, that could help us ultimately. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, and, you know, it's an NBA Finals game. They didn't throw it away, but the game plan, to your point, was, hey, let's see if Steph can have one of those nights where he's, you know, going to shoot 60%. He's unstoppable. You know, if we can steal this, great. But to your point there, hey, we're going to rest everyone uh, that we need to to get them healthy for game four in the rest of the series. We can't, th- you know, let this one game decide it all. So right. uh, it didn't work out for them, to your point. But Kevin Looney, let's just touch on him briefly. The injury that he has, from what I've read, is an extremely painful injury for someone lifting their ar- shoulder, any movement at all. I mean, it's, you know, connected through the rib and shoulder. Um, I can't even describe to you how someone can play through that in basketball. So a valiant effort for him to go out there in game four and do what he did that just shows the heart that that kid has. And I almost feel bad for him because you're watching him. You just got to go every time he moves that arm. It's got to be painful. No doubt about it. But I've been confused by this injury because it started as a sprain collarbone, which is not a thing. And (laughs) then it started as a broken collarbone. And then it moved to a rib injury. Yeah. Just there's a strange, you know, series of events there. Yeah, maybe it was misdiagnosed. I'm not sure, but uh, or at that point, you're just trying to throw them off the scent of maybe where the real injury is so they don't try to bang them up uh, too badly. But either way, he is significantly hurt. For him to play through that is huge. But um, Looney and KD are huge defensively for these teams uh, for Golden State heading down the stretch here. So if they're able to get them. Even at 80 to 90%, I think it's going to be a huge improvement than what we've seen from them defensively so far this series. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like... we? So we've been in the era for the last probably three years of load management. Do you think yep. that makes a difference at this point? I mean, that's doesn't really seem... I mean, it seems like it on one side of things with Toronto because it feels like Kawhi has been hurt, but maybe not hurt, but not 100%, but like maybe 80% probably. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to speculate. I think all these guys are banged up, as you know, at this point. I mean, when you're playing so many games, having the three days off has to help. I mean, from that standpoint. But yeah, I mean, we saw it with the Milwaukee Bucks specifically, them not being able to handle that down the stretch. And that comes with inexperience and not being able to know how, how hard or how much rest these guys need. So I definitely think it can play a factor, especially if we push this thing to seven games. You may see some of these Toronto guys have been playing big minutes. Um, that may be, you know, a key factor down down the road. When you have this thing there where guys don't really understand how to rest their bodies on the court, like LeBron right. is really good at that. And yep. there's so many times where it looks like he's not playing defense because of it. And and a lot like sometimes he's not, but <laughs> he also knows how to read out a play to realize if he's gonna be a factor there or not. Could he be in every single play? Yes. Would he play to the level that he does, absolutely not. So there's he picks his spots, which I respect, and he knows when to rely on his team to let it let it go, and that's how he's able to rest a little bit on court. He's not he pushes a hundred percent when he's pushing, but he just he knows how to go zero to sixty and then back down really quickly. Yeah, absolutely, and I think him kind of coaching himself throughout these years, he knows when he needs to go to the bench, how to pick up those you know, free extra rest, you know, heading into the end of the quarter. You know, those are typical times you'll see, especially Steph and Kawhi, you know, take take those two minutes on the last two minutes of the quarter and then get that commercial break as well. So 
it's kind of one of those things you don't really talk about or see as much when you're watching as a fan, but it's something that definitely plays a role into the results that we see on the court. For sure. What do you think about the Warriors owner pushing Kyle Lowry? You know what? There's been, everyone seems to be one way or the other. Some folks are like, ah, what's the big deal? Wasn't that bad? You watch it. I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I think this guy needs to be banned for life. This is absolutely ridiculous. As an Part, a part owner, however you want to deem it, if you're part of the ownership team of a franchise like this with the success that they've had, there's absolutely no excuse for his actions. There's none. And the at this point in his life, the success that he's had outside of basketball, and with, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you get a drunk fan, whatever. You know, that's you could see why a fan would do that. You know, a drunk Golden State fan maybe in the fifth row or whatever. But for a part owner to set the bad example that he did and not really realize his actions and not immediately come out with an apology. I, I think they said he didn't reach out to Kyle Lowry for about two days after. I mean, what what an idiot. The ego of this guy has to be through the roof. And Adam Silver did absolutely right. Just suspend him for, I know it's only a year. It should be longer, but I think just in the short term. And, and a major fine. Absolutely the right course of action and it is the most absurd thing that you can do as a part of the ownership team. It's completely classless. Yeah, so I'm with you on the classless part, and it was he should absolutely have known better. I think the fine was a little excessive, like half a million dollars. That seems like it's a it's a less than a drop in the bucket to this guy anyway. What does that really matter, you know? Well, I, I think it was probably one or the other. I, they're probably going, hey, we're either going to suspend you for life or hit you with a big fine, so then... The media doesn't get, you know, if they just suspended him for a year, I'd be a little ticked off. There needs to be more. And to your point, it's probably a drop in the bucket for this guy. But you know what? It is going to hurt, too. I mean, half a million bucks. I mean, just to someone like that, uh, it's going to hurt mentally to this dude more than not. So um, it's ridiculous. He's absolutely absurd. And the fact that there wasn't an apology right away. I don't agree with that either. I I think that was shitty as well. But you're so you're do you think that he should be forced to sell his ownership stake absolutely absolutely it should be one or the other you can keep the ownership but you're not allowed back into games like you can just be uh an owner from the far but you shouldn't i mean nothing really happened when you look at it okay one year whatever that's not a big deal barely pushed him though what barely pushed him I, and see, that's the other people going to be barely. What it doesn't? Would it matter more if he punched him in the face? I mean, it's still ridiculous. Well, people are acting like he punched him in the face, and that's not really what happened. And that, so that's what I guess that's what I'm getting at here a little bit is like, so you think that he should be forced to sell his ownership stake? So he should be put in the same category as Donald Sterling? No, well, that's a different time. So don't. No, no, it's really not. Era. It's somebody who was forced to sell their ownership stake. That was the last time it happened. Right. I mean, so, I, 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 again, I just I feel like that's excessive. Like you're talking about a guy who has been part of the ownership group that has taken the Warriors from an absolute joke of a franchise to the greatest franchise of all time, arguably. And you're talking about a, an ownership group that just privately financed a brand new arena in downtown San Francisco. Like these like I get the morality part of it. But at the end of the day, this is all about money. And they just they're not going to do that to this guy. I just I don't 
No, they're, they're not. But that's why I think you can do the flip side, which makes more sense. You don't get to go to intend these games. If you can't handle yourself, that punishment fits the crime. Probably asking him to sell the team, that probably doesn't fit the crime here. And But from the standpoint of if you can't handle yourself personally sure. as an ownership, then you're not allowed to go. I think that punishment fits. Adam sure. Sterling saw one year he thought that fit it. You know, and I, I do like Adam Silver. I think he's a great, great leader there for the NBA. So I trust his judgment. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they had a conversation privately. So after that, uh, you have to hope moving forward from here, he'll be able to kind of handle himself and uh, hopefully he takes it as a learning opportunity. And if he doesn't, then Adam Silver will have to deal with it from there. But I definitely think the suspension of some kind uh, would fit, you know, a punishment for what he did do. Yeah, I agree with most of it. I think the fine was a little bit hefty, but like I said, I we kind of already talked about that. I think the one other thing I would probably add to this, if you, I'd pro- I would have banned him for the rest of the finals here. I probably wouldn't have suspended him for a year, but what I would have done is taken away him having courtside seats there or any other arenas for life. Yeah, that I mean, way you I just mean, put him up in a box to watch the team that he owns. You know what I mean? Like yeah, at least that, yeah. like that was probably a little bit more fitting. But I get why they did it. I mean, this league hasn't been afraid to set a precedent at this point. They probably lead the league or lead of all the major sports in that as far as punishment. I mean, we saw the thing in Utah earlier this year with Russell Westbrook and the the racist fan, and the league absolutely did the right thing there. Now, a couple points. You know, we have had the leagues had issues with Mark Cuban in the past. Sure. Which, you know, a long time ago, but they fixed that. Well, that was um, more about the officiating, correct? Yeah. I mean, just him being on top of it. But then most notably as well in this series, um, there's been kind of from folks around the league have had issues with Drake. And that really hasn't at least publicly been addressed. Maybe in private, there's been conversations with the league and Drake, you know, not touching the coach, not harassing the rest players. Um but he still, to an extent, I believe, goes too far just from a general fan standpoint, too, where it's like no one else. If you or I were sitting center court uh, front row at an NBA Finals and we're touching a coach, yeah. yelling at Draymond, you know, walking on the court, you and I would be escorted out of there quicker than we could <laughs> think. So I, there's also that side where I could see his point as an owner, too. He's watching going, well, sure, you got Drake over there, you know, yeah. massaging a coach. I'm at least an owner. I should get, you know, a little leeway, which was probably his thought. So, yeah, um, I think with the whole Drake thing, it, so the league definitely talked to him and definitely stepped in there, like okay. no doubt about that. I mean, just the way it, because it kind of like completely changed from that first game to the second and third game where yep. he was definitely more toned down. He wasn't so energetic. Like, I have no problem with him being down there and in into the game like he he may be the most bandwagon fan out there but he's always rep toronto teams so i'll give him that i i really feel like he has he knows exactly what he's doing like he knows that this is good pr for him no matter what happens it gets his name out there Uh, but i think that he's definitely toned it down the narrative has been a lot less on him though and a lot more on this whole shoving of the the of Kyle Lowry thing from the owner, and I think as this series has gone on and people have realized it may not be a cakewalk for Golden State, the narratives have almost quieted down a little bit, which I think is yeah. kind of interesting. 
I would agree. It and one thing I want to get your opinion on because it kind of stays within this same theme. And I know this was a couple weeks ago. Um, did you see when the Cubs banned that fan for life? Oh yeah, with the racist uh, symbol or whatever, what they said could be construed as that. Yeah, and so you know the gentleman had, and you can search it. You know, it's to be honest, and maybe this is my fault for not knowing. I didn't know that that was something that could be considered that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the circle and then your fingers pointing down. I thought you always kind of did that when you're young, and if someone looked at it, you know, you got that to was punch a game in middle something. school. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, having fun. And, you know, people have done this in the past, and I guess I never const- – I was not aware that that was something that could be construed that way. And I don't know if they found out that's what the fan was trying to do. Um, maybe that was part of the ban. But I think it's just showing more and more that, you know, on the court or at, you know, the place where – this is a business. I mean, these teams are running a business. You can't be – they're not allowing people to interact in a way that – can be construed negatively uh, or, you know, of course, offend anyone. So I just think it's interesting to see the contrast between the sports and how they're dealing with fans. You know, same thing when we had, you know, the laser pointer going into Tom Brady Mm -hmm. uh, during the football game in KC. You know, we're seeing more and more of the league get involved with reprimanding folks for actions that they don't deem to be, you know, professional. With the whole psychology behind the circle game, so, and this stands for the psychology of any types of these t- like extremist groups and whatnot. But part of the psychology there is that you, they take something that is very innocent. Like, so we played that as a middle school game, right? And they right. decide yeah. to kind of deem it as that's what that means. And that causes confusion. So someone like yourself, you do, you just happen to run into it where you see it and you're like, oh crap, I didn't realize that's what that meant. Ooh, I, I got to be more sensitive to that, which makes sense. That's the normal, rational human being thought, but right. that's meant to confuse people, and that's what it does, and that's it, it. It throws a cognitive dissonance into what those types of things mean. Where I think MLB got it wrong, though, is I. It feels like a weird thing to pull the trigger on so quickly, like, and they did it immediately, and it just felt like if the situation was reversed, where the Cubs fan would have shoved a player, like happened with the Warriors that feels more fitting than the other way around it just didn't ever seem like it added up yeah so that was a bold call by the Cubs there to suspend him for life and uh, it's just interesting to see the contrast between the sports and how they're you know handling these fans and owners and uh, that on the field and um, I don't think it's going to get better so (laughs) warning to the listeners if you're going out to a game Maybe uh, behave yourself a little bit unless you don't care about going to another. How pissed off would you be if you were just playing the middle school circle game, though, and got booted out of the Rangers ballpark for life? You'd be pissed. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I'm saying I think the Cubs fans that had or the Cubs ownership, there must have been some further information that they had. Uh, Maybe it's from additional social media or something to get further details because you don't make that call. Uh, without maybe doing or you hope so at least otherwise I feel like this fan may have gone on a you know a media tour going what the heck because if that happened to you or I we'd be all over media going look this is a game we play everyone knows it I mean you do that when you were kids as we've talked about so if there was that degree where it wasn't intentional to be 
um, you know, racist as it's being accused of, I think we probably would have heard that by now. It's more of one of those things, like, if he was, if that was truly his intent and that's what he was trying to do, get him the fuck out of there. I agree with that. But uh, it just felt really quick. But, I mean, maybe a quick search of his Twitter or whatever turned up some truth to that, to your point. I mean, that, that could very well be true. Yeah, social media is not your best friend sometimes. That is for sure. I know. That's okay, though. We enjoy it nonetheless. It keeps us informed, and that's what's impo- important, I suppose. That is true. That is true. Um, what else? Anything else basketball-wise? It, feels like, it just feels like there's been a storm of stuff going on around the NBA. Yeah, uh, but I, I think we've touched on it, and as we've mentioned, oh. we're excited for free agency. Oh, God, I can't believe I forgot the most important one. This is I'm something, worried. This is something we've been celebrating on the on the basketball show on the break already. Uh, Paul Pierce finally admitted to shitting his pants during the 2007 finals. <laughs> yeah, he's a, that's why I needed a wheelchair. I mean, right. that's what he told him on air. Oh, I, I needed that wheelchair because I, you know, relieved myself. Uh, that was that was unbelievable. I can't believe that he still has a job. It blows my mind that they continue. First of all, he has terrible takes. He has awful predictions. He's never right on any prediction he's ever made. And then he's talking about, you know, pooping his pants on air, and they still continue to have him back. I, I, can't, I can't see how he's back a part of that crew next year. I hope not, for our sakes, too. Well, yeah, so, I mean, his takes are really terrible. I mean, he really cursed the Celtics into the ground pretty fast in that Milwaukee series. But, oh, yeah. Uh, and by the way, for the sake of accuracy, that was the 2008 finals. I, I think I mistakenly said 2007. 2008 finals. Yeah. And uh, I just... It's something, dude, I was watching it live, and I saw it, and I I just remember watching it and being like, uh, that is not what happened, because that dude was, like, holding his knee, but he was laughing. And the way they held yeah. the towels around him and everything, did you know about this before I brought it to your attention? Like, did you know that this was um, a possibility? I did see, I saw, saw a little bit on social media. I mean, before he said it on air, I'd never really heard that theory behind it. Yeah, I've been saying it for years, and there was only like a very dark corner of the internet that seemed to share that opinion. And there's all these great like uh, pictures going around that were, I mean, they could have been photoshopped, of course, but it was like, you know, they were wearing the home whites. And so it was, you know, of his ass, and you could see brown on it and everything, and just like conclusive proof, like as he was going up, that he pooped himself. It's just, it's an unbelievable story. It's hilarious. I, w- I bet you that he's back for another year, though. I don't know. P- he's like a, lovable goof i just feel like those guys aren't really even though they all have terrible takes at times some of them have really good takes i always love chuck but i mean they have bad takes a lot and especially on that basketball crew on those basketball crews a lot of those guys have really terrible takes so i i bet you he's gonna be back i think he's like overall a favorite i think this makes him more of a family favorite to me like he at least he owns it 11 years later but at least he owns it He's got to keep himself relevant. But, I mean, the wheelchair makes sense. You don't want to get up and walk off the no. court with everyone looking at your, well, you, you know, stained pants, right. no, you can't. marks. And, yeah, exactly. No. It's disgusting. Yeah. It, 11, he, so he owned it at least, but it was 11 years later. So that that's definitely takes away from it just a little bit. But I, I am a little bit disappointed because I've been on this hill for a long time by myself, and people have joined me as they found out over time about this. And... It just kind of sucks that it's over. And I was, I mean, it's great to be vindicated, but it sucks that it's over. 
Uh, it's one of those things where it's almost more fun to let the mystery, you know, play on over the years. But I mean, it went it for eleven been nice years, like in a book, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, you know, like he, you know, he's like in his seventies, retiring, writes his life book, and then just you know, middle of chapter fourteen. Yeah, I pooped myself. Yeah, you know, that would have been that would have been a good way to just get the, yeah. chapter fourteen, the skid mark. But, right. <laughs> yeah. Did you see him actually admit it on TV before the game started, or were you traveling? Yeah, I didn't see it live, but I watched the replay of it. Just just cracks you up. Oh, man. At least he owns it, though, at the end of the day. Yeah, you got to respect that. So we talked a lot of baseball last time, but we had two pretty major signings that hadn't happened since we talked last week of Dallas Keuchel signing with the Braves and Kimball yep. signing with the Cubs. So the MLB draft is over with. Let's start there for just a second. What do you think of the MLB draft? Hey, fantastic to see Baltimore hopefully get a superstar coming their way. That that kid is, I mean, just getting walked every other at bat basically in college. And, um, you, you know, we touched on the MLB draft. My excitement level has always been tamed just because, unfortunately, you know, half the kids of the first round probably are never going to make it to the majors. And there's just so many prep names that you're not going to see for a long time. And I wish there was more excitement, but I think it's also due to that no one really hypes it up either. I mean, yeah, baseball doesn't. You know, a NFL mock. No, and MLB or NFL mock drafts go on before the the next year goes on. While before the current draft happens, for goodness' sake. So, right. you know, MLB's just never been able to wrangle that in as a big selling point. Um, so it's just tough to really get behind it when they don't either. But that's the thing: is baseball's terrible at that as a whole. You have to create excitement you have to make it something that you really want to talk about and and what people want to talk about and look at how the nfl's done it with the mock drafts i hate mock drafts i really do but it's something that creates conversation they've made it a conversation point the mlb does not do that and it makes it feel like the mlb doesn't give a shit and that's a really dangerous stance to take when that is the future of your sport and regardless of whether, I mean, you're always going to have your Mark Appels that just don't pan out, right? Like, that just happens. And more times than not, right. it's your guys in your later rounds that, you know, work out better than, I mean, Albert Pujols was taken like 243rd or something like that. You know, like, it, you just never know. But regardless, it's, I just feel like MLB does a terrible job with marketing it and, and making it exciting. I really do. Well, I think... I think it drips down also to college baseball not having that excitement as well. I mean, you can't hype up – you can't also hype up another league to help yourself out. I mean, that's just a lot a lot to ask. You know, college football has its own market that's watched every weekend nationally televised. You know, college baseball folks really don't get into it till you know, the Super Regionals, and that's when the MLB draft does go on. So from the standpoint of – these guys aren't developed. These names aren't being thrown around enough like we do see these college football players. And so I think it's a little bit of a give and take there until we're able to maybe get college baseball on a landscape where folks are you know, watching it uh, you know, day in, day out. People know the names and people are able to rally behind and go, oh, gosh, I can't wait. Hopefully my team gets that kid. I think that's just really the difference between the two sports and why there is a little bit of a, you know, a struggle for them to get that as well. And the same deal with the prep kids. I mean, you're just never going to get nationally televised high school games 
uh, and let alone get people outside of, you know, an everyday fan to really jump in on that. It's just, I think it's asking a lot, not to say it can't happen, but I think there's other dominoes that need to fall before it's solely the MLB's fault for not being able to kind of uh, drum up the type of interest you'd like. But it's a draft for your league. At the minimum, you should be able to figure out something there. I mean, it just seems so lacking. I will say that the College World Series and all that stuff has grown in the last few years. In the, yep. probably the last 10 years, it's gotten, you know, for hard, hardcore baseball fans, I think that's something that's watched pretty frequently. But I just think... Oh, that, absolutely. But, and I think that's great. And uh, these guys should have more exposure. I mean, there are teams... Like, we talked on the baseball show with Parker Mashinsky, who plays for the Astros minor league system, and he is like his he talks about his time at texas tech and he talks about it with such high regard it's such an electric like team environment and place to play and all that it's great coverage for like that espn provides and it's i feel like that's an awesome thing to see with these young kids and that definitely helps generate some of the excitement and that's not even on major league baseball's part but when it comes to like major league baseball and just solely the draft. Like, I get excited about the NBA draft, and I don't watch college basketball that much, as you know. So I can look right. at, you right. know, because a lot of times they're not even developed to what they could be yet anyway. So it's just, it's one of those things I feel like that baseball could certainly do more. It may not be, to your point, it may not be completely on them, but they could definitely do more. Yeah, I'd agree. So, and to your other point, we had two big signings, you know, the Craig Kimbrell to the Cubs. And again, I'll come back. You know, I did not think the Cubs would be a player there. They've been very vocal that there's no money left for them to spend with, you know, obviously the big contracts they already have on hand. Mm -hmm. So I was extremely shocked by that. Um, it sounds like the Rays were involved, the Minnesota Twins, uh, who, who I talked about, nauseam being a perfect fit. And it was hard for me to see that, that that was the best offer on the table for them based on, you know, the involvement of other teams. But you know, it's a big pickup for the Cubs. We mentioned how much of a struggle their bullpen has been, you know, significantly around their health. You know, Brandon Morrow, Pedro Stroop, who did just come back. But now, if Morrow's able to get healthy, you know, and they're in the hunt, you got Pedro Stroop, Steve Shishak, certainly a pretty nice bullpen that they're sitting on there in Chicago if everyone's healthy. Um, so I think a big signing, it obviously helps out, you know, the AL teams who are all in the hunt. Now they, you know, they were all sitting there going, oh, gosh, I hope it doesn't go to a competitor. So I think it helps strengthen the Cubs' uh, positioning moving forward uh, and also allowed them to not have to move anyone from a thin minor league system because I think they'll be pretty limited on who they can pick up big name-wise uh, heading down the stretch, which I think played a large role in the, into them in ownership saying, you know, let's pay up the money because we may not have those prospects to bring in a big-named uh, free for, or uh, trade for a big name uh, at the de at the deadline yeah no and I get that and I think we talked a little bit about that before with making moves prior to the deadline like with the Jay Bruce thing it seems like that was something they could get ahead of it was a good acquisition for the Phillies so they did it and uh, so I have no problem with that and I think it's always really interesting how these kinds of things fall because I mean the market for Craig Kimberl was really confusing and the same could be said for Dallas Keuchel which we'll talk about in a second but I didn't really see the Cubs being a huge suitor for that either, but if you look at their bullpen and what it's been like this year, it hasn't been awesome. And so I, I get why they made this move. A three-year, $45 million deal, a lot of it is guaranteed. It's That's a pretty significant investment for 
I mean, it's uh, he committed six years, a hundred million from the Red Sox. That was not going to happen. I mean, no. it, and the Red Sox have money to spend, and they're they're still not doing that. So he took half that to go to a team that I mean, I don't know, is arguably about the same, if not a little worse, probably. It's hard to say with how the Red Sox are playing this year, but talent-wise. Yeah, and I think they just overplayed their hand. And to touch on Dallas Keuchel, you know, he mentioned the collecting bargaining agreement really doesn't set the players up for success in these scenarios. And so I think that will be a major part when they go through those negotiations that you'll see hopefully that that this issue goes away because, as we mentioned on last week's podcast, the guys that do wait it out and get signed late uh, tend to struggle a little bit in that season. I mean, when you get these guys out of the routine of coming in in February, March, being competitive, going through spring training, and now you're asking them to get ramped up in a you know a one. You're signing these guys for big money. You know, you're yeah. not going to let them just you know go through a two to three month you know stretch out period. And whatever you're doing outside of being on a team, you know, you can go throw to live hitters go to all your workouts, but it's still different than that daily routine and getting in that. And baseball is so much a part of a routine and being committed to that. It has and to be. So that's, it has to be. And so I think we're going to see that change. And the reason the one years work great for these guys, because you know, they do need that fresh start. Hopefully Keuchel can find a home quickly next year and it won't affect them again. Um, but you hate to see that. I think Kimbrell's more set up for success being a relief pitcher than a starter, but Overall, it's just not good for the game or the product for fans either. And I will say that to the Craig Kimbrell thing, and you saw some of this last year, he had 42 saves on a World Series winning team last year. But a lot of times those were save situations that are questionable save situations. A lot of times when he came in with the bases packed, that was a really struggle, a big struggle spot for him. And I have a feeling that's why the Red Sox wanted to wash their hands of him, too, is he was great when he came in with, you know, nobody on and, you know, a pretty easy save situation. But, I mean, Chris Sale closed the World Series. So, uh, you know, however you want to look at that. Yeah, to be honest, you made a great point, and he did have some struggles in the second half. And, um but, you know, the velocity was still there. I'm not sure what happened to him to kind of see a little bit of a drop-off, but I do think that hurt his value with Boston, you know, being willing to give him that the years and money he wanted. And I think just overall to a relief pitcher, I mean, you look at a guy like Andrew Miller, who was so dominant for Cleveland and um, has now sort of, I'm not going to say fallen off a cliff because he's still a very uh, usable relief pitcher having a fine year in St. Louis. Um but you just you it it's like committing money to a running back in the NFL. Their yeah. shelf life is short. One injury can really take away. So teams have just gotten to a point where they're not willing to commit that big money, even if you are an elite at closer. It's just not worth it. It's really not. And no, I, it's and, and I guess know. to to sum up the point I was making too is that it's one of those things I think that he'll be fine this year and he may even be fine next year, but they're going to hate that third year of that contract and that there will be remorse on that contract somewhere. I'll say that. Yeah. And I think generally speaking, we've seen that overall with these long deals, you know, pool holes, you know, Jason Hayward hasn't worked out at all, but teams are really shining away. But then again, we say that and then Bryce Harper and Manny Machado got those long deals. So 
as much as it's easy to say, hey, teams have learned their lesson, we just had two huge contracts over the, or the winner as well. So it's... Well, and to be um, fair, I don't think... Maybe teams haven't learned. But to be fair, I don't think that... I think those are very, you know, like very different types of situations too, you know, because you have Bryce Harper and Manny Machado who have still upward ceilings. They're in their prime. They're going to be around for another 10 years, more than likely, barring injury or whatever. And I think there's this like, there's just this inherentness about them that durability is kind of in their veins, even if that may not be true. And. It just seems more realistic than signing a relief pitcher to a long-term deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it's just, I think it's a by-case situation, uh, but it's also teams depending on what they need at that time as well. So, and I mean, uh, you look at always in a win now. And the other side of that is to argue against myself, if I may. I mean, look at Max Scherzer, who had a t- who signed a ten-year contract a couple years ago. Now that thing pays him to like twenty fifty, which, however you want to feel about that, but it's still a ten-year deal, and they're going to hate the last part of that deal. But at least it's deferred out a long time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he has stayed at the top of his game, uh, so that that's worked out to this point. But also, uh, as you're mentioning, it's just these guys seem to in these long deals. They'll just take one year and they'll just fall off this steep clip. But I guess it's just the price to pay to have the elite talent during those years. And you're accepting that back end where, you know, uh, hey, he's going to suck at this point. And and staying away from guys, you know, like Ryan Howard and, you know, Prince Fielder, these big power hitters who are big guys. I think maybe the MLB's seen that more in their lesson. Like, hey, this power's not sustainable. He's not going to be hitting 40 home runs when he's 38 years old. You know, there's just certain positions and types of players that I think is now more recognized to not be guys that you can give those long-term deals to that make a lot of sense. You got to really think that these insurance companies that are insuring the contracts of these guys are really taking it in the ass on these long-term deals. Yeah, you, you'd have to imagine because they're, and I think it goes on at a greater level than we realize. Oh yeah, we always do. We do hear about it with the big names and the big contracts. But teams do it with pretty much every contract from what I've read. It's just not discussed. I mean, no one, you're not worried about the $20 million guy and that, but teams do. It's cheap enough for them, but also, I mean, there's got to, it's got to make sense of both sides, but at this rate, it may not be. But every contract's different. The clauses, the performance money, they're all so specified in different ways that you can't really boil it down to one bucket. But to your point, you know, David Wright being a recent situation where, uh, the insurance company's paying out on him. So yeah, I mean Prince Fielder was the, the same Mets way. Did something right? I mean Prince Fielder was the same way. That was a nightmare contract that the Rangers got oh. on, out of, out of really easily. Uh, they absolutely won that trade from the Tigers at the end of the day. Well, yeah, and Kinsler's had some good years, but that was, I think it was a mess for both teams. I mean, they both uh, needed to make that trade, but it also just made. And that was that was just a mess. To your point, just terrible on both ends. Exactly. Well, I guess we're gonna wrap things up. Last thing of the week, U.S. Open coming up. Can't wait. U.S. Open. Oh, I'm so excited! Another golf major. I like the couple week breaks between them, um, but it's always nice to reel back around here. And uh, obviously, the name that's gonna be getting a lot of headlines: Brooks Koepka, being one of the better golfers right now in the world. Had a ton of success lately, and 
Uh, it's at Pebble Beach, is that correct? We're enjoying some Pebble Beach this uh, coming week? Sure is. So we are excited. It's a beautiful course for you to watch at. Um, if you haven't been able to see it on TV or in person, absolutely breathtaking. So, you know, we talked a little bit about a couple golfers we've liked in the past. I'm going to give you two names that I'm specifically looking at with some headlines. Uh, you know, first being Jason Day. He just signed on Steve Williams to be his caddy. And that name's probably like, oh, I remember that name. Former caddy for Tiger Woods during his heyday, as well as Adam Scott helping him win his first major. Um, to bring him into the fold is an absolutely under-the-radar move uh, for any golfer, let alone you know Jason Day, who won this tournament back in 2015. So uh, I'm not sure he's maybe got enough in the tank to win it. He's had some injuries along the way, but we saw earlier in the year, He's a very competitive golfer, and I'd be looking for him to be at you know the top ten on the leaderboard side. I don't hate that at all. I think that that really sums it up nicely. Kepka's a big name coming into this, like you said, and I mean you've been on him for a little while as far as really about to turn the corner. This could be a really good ch chance to do that. He looked really good in previous ma in his last couple of majors, really, and so I think I think it could be a good time for him to turn the corner. So uh, we'll definitely yeah, be and then. Okay. The last golfer, the last golfer I'm looking at, Xander Shopley. He won a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's got a great game that fits into this U.S. Open. He's hot. This is a, a he grew up in the area. Of course, he's very familiar with. Um, and I do. He doesn't have a ton of. Uh, I guess some people like course success, um, but his game shapes up very well here. So Xander Shopley, Jason Day are two names that I'm looking at. And obviously, Brooks Kepsa is going to be a guy that's going to be probably up there on the leaderboard, I would imagine. Yep, don't hate that. We'll be tracking this closely on Twitter, so make sure to follow me and you both. So mine is at uh, JMACSLM, and JB, you're at, uh, at JB Media SLM. And we'll yep. also be, at, from the at Sense Blue Loud account, that, follow that as well. We'll be tweeting out clips and be having conversation about it and all that. I think that's one of our favorite things to do during golf. Golf's probably the the most like football where we can have conversations between plays and whatnot with people. And it's, it's a blast to do. So make sure to yep. interact with us. All right, man, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap things up and we will see you guys next week. Perfect. Keep it PC.